Hello, America, and welcome to a New Year's Eve edition of the John Solomon Reports podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to go back and play an interview I did recently with Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, As we head into 2021, the Hunter Biden scandal is going to continue to grow. The questions that have been unanswered, the documents that haven't been produced are large. And with the ongoing criminal investigation, uh, it is clear now that the very story that I reported back in April 2019, which the Democrats and their media allies tried to impugn for two years, is a real and substantial story for American politics. And today, we're going to go back and listen to what Ron Johnson had to say. He uh, led the investigation that validated a lot of my reporting, broke a lot of new ground, raised the real question of whether Hunter Biden's foreign business deals with people that had a business, uh, a foreign policy relationship with his father, uh, potentially put the United States in a position of blackmail, bribery, national security, jeopardy. And uh, this interview gets right to the heart of that question, which is when an, an ally or family member of a sitting president or vice president is cashing in overseas with people who have ties to the Chinese military or to a oligarchs or, or corrupt figures in Eastern Europe, uh, does that potentially put the family, the politician, over a barrel, as they like to say? And uh, Ron Johnson really eloquently talks about that. He also talks about what needs to be accomplished in 2021 for Americans to know what really happened with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Ukraine, China, Russia, and of course, Kazakhstan. So listen in on uh, Ron Johnson. It's a fun interview. One of my favorite of 2020. And, of course, we'll be back on Monday, January 4th, with a whole new suite of interviews. All right. Now, on to Ron Johnson. Hey, folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking, I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, the chairman of the Senate Homeland and Governmental Affairs Committee, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, joins us. Senator Johnson, welcome back to the show. Well, John, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. And congratulations on escaping Washington after the final vote. We finally got our work done for the year, huh? I'm, I'm back here in Wisconsin. I've got a smile on my face. I bet you do. I have a lot of family in Wisconsin, and I smile as soon as I get on the ground myself. <laughs> it's great. 
Listen, I want to talk to you a little bit. You've had some amazing hearings over the last few uh, weeks, and uh, you had this guy, Chris Krebs, who ran um, the main cybersecurity agency inside of Homeland. And, uh, you know, he seemed to have a good resume. He had a good uh, story to tell about the election and what he thought they did right and wrong. And then we've been going through some of these inspector general's reports at the Homeland Security Department, and it looks like his agency uh, has had some problems. It wasn't really hitting the marks, and maybe the the way he portrayed the efforts of the agency may have been a little more glowing than what the internal watchdog at Homeland thought. i just curious if you had some impressions of where we are in the fight on cyber war and whether CISA, his agency, was doing its job or whether it was struggling. So, um, again, not to correct you, but we always call it CISA. CISA, but, there we uh, go. The, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, you know, let, let me, because I want to be as completely fair as possible. You know, one thing I will say about IG reports, and I've read a lot of them, I've never seen one that was glowing in its praise for the agency. I mean, it's just not That's their true. job. I mean, they're, right. they're there to uncover and, and point out problems. Um, but, you know, all, all that being said with, uh, you know, the blanket statements that, the, you know, the, the former director Krebs talked about election security, which I, I, I do, do believe were completely misinterpreted. Uh-huh. And, you know, because he, he, you know, the sweeping statement, this is the most secure election, you know, in our history. Uh, I think that may be a paraphrase, but I think it's pretty accurate. That's right. You know, that that was that left the impression. It might have been meant to leave the impression that this election was perfect. OK, but when he's saying the most secure, he's really talking about, you know, foreign interference as relates to cyber hacks. And, you know, the, the attack on our on the Internet system here uh, when, when it's in, that's involved with, with the elections. He admitted in testimony before our committee he's, he wasn't speaking of fraud. And with, our, our hearing was, you know, examining the irregularities of the 2020 elections. We were primarily talking about the aspects of fraud right. and the lack of transparency and, and the inability of, of observers to really observe and and the, the, the fact that courts, you know, didn't necessarily look at evidence. They just dismissed a lot of these cases based on lack of standing or, you know, the cloak of latches, which, you know, you, you're, you're bringing this controversy too late in the process. Um, so, you know, I think that the mistake that Director Krebs made in that sweeping statement, it, it simply was misleading. It was, it was too sweeping. It, and, and people, from my standpoint, completely misinterpreted it. And of course, the liberal media latched onto it. Of course, uh, and, and you know, so so we really didn't have an accurate portrayal of the issues that have frustrated supporters of President Trump. The seventy-four million people that that voted for him, uh, their their questions have not been answered as it comes to these irregularities. Yeah, that's such an important point. And I, I think that the, you're right that so many of us missed the, the very important caveat, which was he was talking about cyber intrusions from a foreign power, not about irregularities or fraud that could have occurred in the old fashioned way of just, you know, even 
ballot stuffing, right? Just the ballot box stuffing, obvious things like that. So that distinction got lost, and I'm, I'm glad that you 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 uh, picked up on it and have really educated us on why that's different. When you look at what we learned uh, in the last week, the breadth of what you know, some people are calling it the Pearl Harbor of cyber attacks. Um, this massive attack that's being attributed to Russian hackers across multiple agencies. It looks like it went on for about nine months undetected. It took someone in the private sector, FireEye, which you know, was a very good firm, to first bring it to the attention. What does it say about Homeland, CISA, uh, Krebs, and others that uh, we, were, we were left naked for basically about nine months? Well, first of all, it says what I've always believed is if you're really looking for cybersecurity, we have to look at the pri- private sector because the private sector is always going to outperform government. I mean, yeah, I just, great that, point. that's just my belief, but I'm, but I'm a private sector guy. Uh, again, you know, Director Krebs, when it came to elections, the fact that the CISA uh, really did move us from 82% paper ballot back up to 95%, I mean, that was an accomplishment. But, sure. You know, if, if I if I were former director Krebs, I, I would kind of meld into the background right now, based on those IG reports and based on you know this this massive and incredibly serious hack by Solar Winds. I mean, it, it does not speak well to what CISA was doing, what government agencies are doing. You know, the whole Einstein you know cybersecurity program. Right. Which, you know, we, we've tried to support by by our committee. You know, the, the whole problem, John. In, in dealing with cybersecurity is the vast majority of Americans, including myself, are not computer scientists. Yep. This is incredibly complex. It is. It's not easy. The, the federal government has a really difficult time attracting, hiring, and retaining the best talent. They, they just can't pay for it. That, that's, again, it's, 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 it's just an inherent problem with government's ability to, to have the personnel they need in comparison to the, the personal the personnel that the, the the private sector can can retain because it can pay them a whole lot more and so it's, it's just a, a mis, mismatch between what capabilities ever can be now we, we've got patriots again I, we've got good people and smart people that are that are are here trying to defend you know our government uh, cyber assets as well as helping the the private sector do it as well and, and there are a lot of things that we do well you know these the, uh uh ISACs, you know, the information sharing and analysis uh, centers. And, you know, these are positive things, but the people on offense, the, the hackers, the, the cyber attackers, they have the advantage. Um, you know, just like the Maginot Line, you know, you're, you're setting up a defense always based on the last war and, and people figure out a way around it. And so I, I can't be real critical of our government's defensive efforts because it's it's an almost impossible and thankless task. But I, I think you have to take a look at that, that seriously. And, and again, continue to come to the conclusion I always come to is you can't look to the federal government at solving our cybersecurity problems. We really need to partner with closely with the private sector. And as you pointed out, it was fire FireEye, which is which really is kind of one of the the oh yeah, they're really impressive, the aren't they? You know, notable. But, but they got they, they were hacked too. That shows you how difficult a job and how, how monumental our task really is when it comes to cyber defense. 
Yeah, no, it's a, that, that really does highlight the uh, the challenge at hand. There were a couple things that jumped out at me in the IG report. Uh, one is, you know, if you're going to lead by example, you should have your own good information security uh, systems. And, and CISA w- w- had the lowest score on four of the six ratings and underperformed other agencies in, inside Homeland Security, like the Customs and Border Patrol and Immigration Customs Enforcement. Um, when you're looking at that and you do oversight, and, you know, a lot of people think oversight hearings are political, right? They're, they're supposed to be for gotcha moments, but they're not actually. They're designed to press the government to get better. When you see that the lead agency uh, that's supposed to be getting everybody else hardened and their defenses ready against this incredible challenge has weak information security for itself, what message does that send? downstream to the others that are following CISA's instructions or its uh, uh, example? Well, again, as it, refer, as it relates to a former director Krebs, I, if I were him, I'd keep a low profile. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, you know, it really does say that the Secretary of Homeland Security, and, you know, we'll, we'll have an outgoing one here, it looks like. Right. Uh, the, new, the new Secretary of Department of Homeland Security is going to have to really take a look at CISA. You know, p- part, part of that IG report talked about you know, lack of human resources, and that's what I was speaking to. And it's it's yep. not necessarily the government's fault. It the government has a real real difficult time. You know, Senator Peter Peters and I have have recognized that we we've been trying to come up with imaginative ways of great you know, point having programs where you maybe pay off student loan debt right to attract people if they stay in government for you know longer than eighteen months or two years or three years. You know, things like sabbaticals. You know, allow the private sector potentially even even donate managerial time and personnel time to, to come in the government. It would be mutually beneficial for those private sector companies as well as those individuals as well as government. You, We've got to think outside the box because, I mean, you know Silicon Valley. I mean, these companies are behemoths. They're yeah. multi-billion. They're, they're, they're rolling in the cash so they can pay people multi-million dollar salaries. You know, government salary taps up, tops, tops off at, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. But in, in the marketplace of ideas, in, in yeah. the marketplace, we're trying to attract the top talent. And again, this, this top talent is rare. I mean, th- these people that, that know, you know, how to the, the computer science of all this, you know, artificial intelligence. I mean, I mean, I, I'm I am not even close to be able to understand all that. Those are the types of people that government needs as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, in the marketplace today, the top creme de la creme talent are going to get picked off for a lot more than the 200,000. And so it is interesting. These ideas like like a sabbatical program or a student loan compensation program could, could really attract talent and get us more uh, more people that are brighter and better quicker. That sounds like a, a really great idea. The other uh, element that that um, felt like an oversight issue when you when you look at it is they kept talking about the quality of the information that SISA could get and get in the hands of people on the front lines wasn't very strong. That you know they had created they had created these great fusion centers that can send information out, but the actionable intelligence that could really prevent an attack or stop an attack early wasn't flowing. And it seems like we're learning that about the Russia hack, the cyber hack that we're learning about now, that uh, information moved really slowly when there were warning signs. Uh, is there something that your committee, Congress, uh, the Homeland Security Department should do to up the game to get better intelligence? We got really good at stopping terrorism, right? We, we After 9-11, is there something that we can do to get uh, on more of an, an offensive posture on um, sharing information about cyber threats? 
So this is going to be a slightly longer-winded uh, answer. I, I know I've already already been long-winded. No, is it when great? When I first came, when I first came to Congress, again, I'm an accountant myself, you know, so I understand computers from a standpoint how you use them. Right. But we we immediately recognized, and everybody recognized that cybersecurity was a huge priority for the private sector as well as government. And so I'd always ask in these hearings, you know, what, what are the top priorities? What are the first two things we have to do? And the answer always was information sharing and then data breach notification. It's some kind of nationalized preemptive type of standard. And right. okay, not a problem. Let's, let's do it. Well, it's a whole lot more difficult than that. We, we've actually made some progress in information sharing. Uh, data breach is almost impossible. I mean, think about it. You know, what I've learned is somebody that's hacked into a system, I think on average, this might be a couple of year old data, but on average, they've been inside your computer system for a couple hundred days before you even notice it. Wow. So then when you notice it, you know, all of a sudden government's saying, well, you got to notify us in 24 hours. You don't even know what you're dealing with. And that's what's happening right now with the solar winds hack is, you Such know, a good it's point. Gonna, it'll probably take months to fully understand this. So, you know, what are you supposed to share? You know, what are you supposed to notify people of? So this is an incredibly complex and difficult issue. Information sharing, and even worse, is, you know, the, the requirements that we place, of course, subject to, you know, lawsuits, that type of thing. When, when a company or a private entity gets hacked, you know, e- even a government agency, you know, their, their requirement to notify Congress. You know, what's the point of notification? What, what, what really is, you know, understanding that you, you, you got hacked? I mean, what does that look like? What's the definition of all that? So this is incredibly complex. There's been all kinds of efforts in terms of improve, improving information sharing. That's what those ISACs are all about. So we've stood up these organizations. There are really good people inside the government, outside of government, trying to grapple with this incredibly difficult issue. So, again, that's why I'm not sitting here just coming down and just being incredibly critical. I mean, it's easy to, to carp about things. Yeah. It's easy to from the outside to criticize, you know, this is my definition of a problem. So there are all kinds of problems in Washington, D.C. that I think have easy solutions. You know, people maybe don't see it that way. My definition of a problem is something that does not have an easy solution, maybe doesn't even have a solution. But, you know, there, there, there are things that a lot of well-intentioned people are doing, and, and I, I just don't beat up on people that haven't gotten it perfect. It's, you're never going to get this perfect. It's, this yeah, is it's really a, a tough nut crack. It is, and it's it's going to be with us for a long time. We're in a, such an interconnected world now that uh, one vulnerability, as we learned in this one, the singular vulnerability may even have been interns is one of the things we were hearing. Uh, singular vulnerability uh, had 18,000, 20,000 victims within a few uh, months, and I think that that's, that intercon- interconnectivity is something that's going to be the great challenge of the future for us because we don't want to give up all the advances but obviously it's a big challenge. Uh, one last question, because I know you, uh, you're on the road traveling, but I wanted to ask you about Hunter Biden and how far in 2020, we started this year with an impeachment proceeding, a trial on which the premise was the, pre- the president of the United States had no reason to ask any questions about Hunter Biden because there was nothing wrong there. That was a storyline. And we ended with the word that Hunter Biden is under criminal investigation, apparently for tax evasion by his own uh, a- acknowledgement of the contacts he's had with prosecutors. You did so much to bring to attention the SARS, the, the 
the uh, uh, the reports that came out that showed the suspicious transactions. Where do you think this heads in 2021, and what will you be doing to uh, further the oversight on it? Well, first of all, you did, you know, just you know, I would almost say the lion's share in, in a lot of this uh, investigation. You know, a couple other journalists that uh, have integrity that uh, actually are. Uh, practicing investigative journalism yeah. but, but you're one you are from my standpoint the premier one oh, thank on, you on sir this case, but, but but on many many others as well uh but, but that that's why we need a free press yeah good so point what, what i found from a standpoint of congressional oversight we're the last to find out now we, we do have capabilities of issuing subpoenas issuing oversight letters that government agencies are supposed to respond to they do reluctantly we get some information but the people pressing the envelope really is, a, is an inquisitive press. You know, people like you. you know, first of all, you have sources that are willing to come to you because they know that their confidentiality is going to be maintained. That's not always the case in, you know, within Congress. You know, exactly yeah. sometimes people's identities get blown. That's and right. So people are reluctant to come forward. So I, I've learned a lot about this investigation. And, of course, the the, the – unit that has the, the strongest and greatest investigatory power is the Department of Justice. But truthfully, um, if, if you're being investigated and you're completely innocent, you want to make sure that always remains confidential. So that you're not tainted if there's not an indictment. So there's just a natural tension there in terms of getting a, a, you know, the information from an investigation out of the Justice Department and making that public. But, but there's a difference between normal type of investigations, criminal behavior, and investigations of political wrongdoing in the, in the political realm. And, and that's where you see the tension. So again, what, we, what you really need, we need an investigatory press to put pressure on the process um, and, and to dig. And so I, I just give, you know, really, I, my hat's off to you and, and your colleagues that, that really do take their, their role in our society and our democracy seriously in an unbiased way, asking the questions, trying to get the information the American public does need to have. You know, my investigation into in Hunter Biden, the Bidens were never targeted. It just, it, they put a target on their back through their conflict of interest. But it was important the public knows what happened because of the, the counterintelligence, the extortion threat that whatever China knows, whatever Russia knows, whatever Ukraine knows, whatever Kazakhstan knows, I mean, whatever Romania knows about these foreign entanglements with the Biden family can be used to affect policy and, and could affect our national security. That's why this was important. This this was not a political hit job, as, as right. you know, Stephen Colbert implies. No, this this was a serious investigation on all our part because our national security is put at risk when you have these kind of financial foreign entanglements that the Bidens obviously have. Uh, again, as I've said, this is this is a big mess. This story is not going away. And in a Biden presidency, this is going to be an even bigger pe- bigger mess and should be a bigger story because it's important. Yeah, now, it... let, let me let me let, let me leave it on this thing, too. We should actually be thanked by people from a standpoint of the fact that we have lowered we have lessened the national security risk because we've made this available. At least these issues, you know, these connections, they can't those be, payments right. can't be used as blackmail. So, Great you know, we, we've taken some of that extortion and counterintelligence threat away. I don't know what else is lurking out there, though. 
That's a great point. And that is some point. And you're right. Uh, we're, we're better. We've better illuminated something now that a foreign power can't use to hijack the Biden family or other players in this. And that is a win as we close out a very difficult 2020 year. Well, Senator, I want to thank you very much. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a, a blessed start to the new year. And I want to thank you for all the times you've joined us on this show and, and been quoted in our news articles. You help us understand uh, the, the role of oversight so much better. We're so lucky to have you. Well, John, you know, Merry Christmas to you and your listeners as well. And and by the way, don't don't be expecting a whole lot of thanks from the mainstream media for all your good efforts. <laughs> yes, no, I, that card's not coming in the mail. <laughs> well, thanks again, sir, and thank you for all you do. All right, folks, we'll be back in just a second to wrap things up. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps it up. Uh, a happy and blessed new year to you and your family and your friends and your loved ones. Thank you for listening to John Solomon Reports. I am deeply grateful for your support, for your listening ship, for uh, supporting our advertisers. Uh, you make Just the News and John Solomon Reports uh, possible. And we want to thank you. Wish you a happy new year. Enjoy the night tonight. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition, one of my uh, all-time favorites of 2020 on New Year's Day. Thank you.